Hey, everybody, it's another edition of the Shea Anything Podcast. Doug Williams alongside Andy Martino. If there is a way to make our uh, intro music sadder than normal, we would have done it for you. So, meet the man. I don't know if that sounds more sad or that's like, like swinging acoustic. a little bit. That's yeah, an acoustic version. You're right. Um, I guess I just can't do sad. I'm all happy, hell happy has broken person. loose. Uh, the Mets had three hits and no runs in two games against the Marlins. Got swept by a team that was 10 and 31. That going did into not series. really happen. It Are happened. you joshing me? It they happened. got swept by the Miami Marlins in yes. 2019. As you emerge from a rock, that would be the first thing I would tell you. Wow. Because um, on Friday you were like, ha ha ha, if they get swept by the Marlins. Not you. One was like, I actually did say that. Ha ha ha, if they get swept by the Marlins, that would never happen. What the heck is going on with the New York? Marlins? We were talking about hypotheticals in the newsroom on Friday afternoon, and I said to Gerard Guilfoyle, to Gary Apple, anyone who will listen, as, I, as most of the things I say generally go, you know, if, if the Mets get swept by the Marlins, and I was thinking, would that mean the end of Mickey Calloway? And that conversation did not even progress past if the Mets get swept by the Marlins, because it was too ridiculous. And, and then they went and did it. And it happened. So we're going to keep this episode short because we don't know how much time it will be good for, considering we don't know what's going to happen tonight. Just like any weekday when there's a baseball game, you don't know if Brody's going to speak tonight. You don't know if Mickey Calloway's still going to have his job by the time the game starts. But that's what we're here for, to talk about what this interim time is like. So in your reporting, Andy... Coming off of the, that weekend that just happened, um, why the radio silence as of right now from the Mets? Well, sources uh, were saying following the sweep that Mickey Calloway was still safe for the time being. So I guess the Mets might argue uh, why, what do you mean why silence? We have a manager, you know, <laughs> like what, what, we're going to play tonight, that kind of thing. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the day and the week unfolds. I think it's very hour to hour, minute to minute. It feels like there is certainly momentum going in the direction of Mickey Callaway not being the manager for long. But the Mets are still saying, and I'm talking to Mets people, there is some thought of, like, let's see how this plays out. Let's maybe see if we can turn it around. Uh, but as the heat keeps getting turned up and it keeps maybe not looking like... Uh, the best, well, let's put it this way. If something seems inevitable, at a certain point, people are going to go, can we move on already? Right. Um, but the Met, there's some thinking with the Mets that is, uh, let's see how this plays out. And there's another uh, line of thought that is um, perhaps they're doing some secret legwork about who the next manager might be. And, and that could be something that's going on if they don't want it to be Jim Riggleman. I talked about that on a multi-platform basis over the weekend. So, you know, uh, there's a lot going on under the scenes right now, and, and I, I only have a little slice of it. Right. And, and what I would, I guess, surmise from all of that would be that if Brody Van Wagenen had arrived as the general manager and, and brought his own manager with him, I think you would have seen support from Brody publicly sure. to this point. What, that is not what we've heard. We heard from you on Twitter last night that Mickey Calloway was literally safe right now. You, right. Could, you, can't, you couldn't even report more than that, that today he'd be safe or that tomorrow he'd be safe. He was safe when you checked in 
last night. That is so far away from what a front office says and does about a manager if they're like, guys, shut up. Mm-hmm. This is our guy. And so that, that being not what the Mets have done, I think that's telling. Absolutely. They haven't given him a vote of confidence. They haven't uh, done anything but said it's our job to continue to win. I know that the Mets front office feels that they are better than how they are playing. They feel like the roster, while not perfect, should be doing better than this. And uh, I think that, look, no one said Mickey's doing a good job. He's the guy that's going to turn us around. Like on any level, Which, <laughs> privately, publicly. So that leads you to believe that if nobody is saying he's doing a good job, and on paper, literally, we are seeing the team collectively not doing a good job. So why would they let this continue? Like, do you think there's any circumstance where the Mets say, okay, we're firing Mickey Callaway because everyone knows the writing is on the wall and it's not fair to him or to our fan base to just let this linger. Mm -hmm. We're going to have Jim Riggleman as the interim manager for a little while as we look for another. That's a possibility. Because I know that sounds super strange and sounds like something that's not normally done. But if I'm a Met fan, I don't want them to rush into. It'd be weird to have three managers in a year. Within in one season. I, yeah, I agree with you. But if you tell everybody up front, Jim Riggleman is the interim manager. We are looking for somebody else. He's a guy who was on our staff in the first place. We trust him. We just want to take our time in deciding who's going to lead. And we're not leaving Mickey future. hanging anymore, twisting in the wind. Yeah, exactly. We'll see how it plays out. I think uh, there's enough going on behind the scenes right now that I don't claim to know all the ins and outs of. I, I know the broad strokes. I know that it's le- totally legitimate to speculate on external candidates. I know that it's hard to do that in season. It's hard to make a change, to hire a guy in season, like you said, maybe rush into it. That would invite questions, perhaps, of uh, why didn't you do this managerial search in the off season if this is the way it's going to go. So there's a lot of moving parts here, and maybe it plays out the way the way you said. Maybe the Mets seriously. Maybe the Mets win every game this week, and Mickey Callaway stays for a long time. Right. Uh, that I, I wouldn't completely rule that out. By the way, there's a lot of moving parts. If we move away from the fault part of this conversation, which I think is a good one, one we've already had in the newsroom today, the Robinson Cano thing ended up being fascinating in terms of Mickey as a manager and, and the manager position as a whole, right? So Robbie Cano has these two blunders over the weekend where he's not running. And you and I have been here in this town for a while. If you remember his time with the Yankees, this is just who Robbie Cano is. He's very frustrating. He's mm-hmm. been tantalizing at times he's a great hitter at times but right now he's not so that doesn't help his cause but in terms of a managerial standpoint I I was thinking yesterday because I saw um, our colleague John Harper who we'll we'll talk about more with Robbie Cano in in a second but Harp tweeted basically that it was crazy for Mickey Callaway to be making excuses for Cano after the game crazy for Callaway to um, not discipline him by benching him mid-game but I was thinking as I'm as I'm watching and Put, trying to put myself in Mickey's shoes, like, do the manager, uh, the managers of today, do they have the clout mm-hmm. to, in the middle of a game, say, hey, 36-year-old all-star veteran, take a seat? Not like, really. I'm just not sure that that's what the role is anymore. I think it's a great point. And I think that fans who are pissed off during a game want to see heads roll or whatever right. it is or whatever happened to when Gil Hodges took Cleon Jones out of the game well 50 years happened in between you know and the game changed and you're right the point a manager has to establish a culture where people are accountable and they play hard uh, but if 
something goes awry in the middle of a game, yeah, it's a pretty aggressive, risky move to, to bench a guy. That confrontation is not what manager-player relationships are based on anymore. Uh, we have a game which, where status is determined by money, and as you've talked about before, and the, man, the players know how much less the manager makes than they do. That's one little piece. Another piece is uh, the player, a guy like Robinson Cano knows that his job security is much better than any manager's at the moment. He just got here, and... Fans maybe don't want to hear that because of the way he's playing, but he's under contract for five years. So there's a lot of things that shift the power dynamic to the players and not the manager. Uh, so, yeah, it's just not in just the way that the modern, like, human wants to be treated. Like, 50 years ago, didn't you, like, like hit your child with a switch if he was bad? I <laughs> mean, a that, lot like, has what, changed. Right, that's changed. what I'm saying. The culture has changed. It's more – I'm not even saying – like, I. It, it's, it's – uh, the world is different. Young people expect it to be treated differently. You don't spank your children, and you probably shouldn't. And maybe you don't bench players in the middle of the game either. The whole the whole thing is different. So to say, oh, and I saw some people on Twitter that were like, Joe Girardi had sit his ass down. Oh, really? Because he, Robinson Cano pulled the same thing on Joe Girardi for like a decade. So, uh, or half a and, decade. And if Joe Girardi ended up disciplining Robinson Cano, whether it was publicly or behind closed doors, Joe Girardi works for MLB Network now. So there's a reason he's still not the manager of the Yankees. And the Yankees, during his tenure, the year before he was fired, had a very good season. Mm -hmm. So it was clear that something Girardi was doing, whether it was not being a friend to the players or whatever, got him fired. So to use Girardi as an example of what works, he's not a manager anymore. Or some, I, one, so, yeah. One person was even like, Terry kick his ass. No, Terry cultivated a relationship with veterans where the veterans were the ones that had the upper hand, frankly. And it worked for Terry because he let his veterans run the clubhouse. But you're like, oh, he's an old red ass. He'll take care of Robinson. You know, no, you're right. exactly right. That's not how the game works. So I tweeted some stuff just about Robinson Cano and, and Mickey Callaway's ability or, or lack thereof to discipline a player like that, uh, a tenured player like that mid-game. And and Josh Satin, colleague and friend of ours, tweeted that managers need their high-playing players, high-paying players, on their side. There's no better way to alienate himself, talking about Mickey, than to bench your highest-paid player. Exactly Josh right. Satin was, you know, young, controllable bench player. He was not one of those guys who was making more money than everybody else on the team. So for him to say that, I think, means a lot. Well, and that's absolutely right. Uh, Terry's effective move when he, gets, he got to the Mets was to cultivate relationships with Beltran, Wright, uh, Reyes, and Santana at the time. Those were the, the big guys. And then, frankly, a guy like Satin, you know, whatever. He wasn't as worried about right. it. So that's it, it, exactly what Callaway can't do, particularly probably since he knows in the back of his mind that Robinson Cano has a really tight relationship with the GM who is going to ultimately determine Callaway's job. So there's a lot of rocky territory. So if you're Mickey and you're going to pull him out of a game, you better be damn sure that he really messed up. So if Cano is saying, I thought there were two outs, you can't be like, Robbie, then why did the pitcher throw to second base? Or examine, there's some, there's some question, according to Tim Healy of Newsday, that, the, that this is even true, that the scoreboard may not have said right. two outs. Uh, and But Callaway, it's, it actually isn't cut and dry enough for Callaway to take a stand, nor is the fair foul thing. Look, the ball didn't go foul on Sunday. It was Sunday, right? This is yes. all a blur of disaster. It was Sunday. The ball, so it, it reads like nonsense. It sounds like nonsense from Cano. But what's Cal he's, he's got to go, okay, Robbie, you can't yeah, you, manage that way. It would be nice if, maybe if you could. But. He better be damn sure, like you said, mm -hmm. that 
Cano screwed up, but also damn sure that he has good footing in that clubhouse and in his role. No, nobody who's really unsure of their job security is going to take a huge risk by alienating one of his most important employees. Right, exactly. Like that, it's not how it works. And by the way, you are very good at doing this. But Thank you. Money is such a big part of all of these conversations. And, and mm-hmm. you point that out. Josh pointed it out. Like the people who are very close to the game, the people who have played the game, when it all, it, it often all comes down to money. And, and the dynamic of the manager is really screwed up in this day and age when players are making like $300 million contracts to pay your manager less than a million dollars a year and expect there to be some sort of culture of respect for, you know, your superior when you've been in the league longer than he has. Right. It's all just very strange if you really think of it hard about it and try and put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's complicated. Managing people, managing athlete, this modern baseball player is a very tough job to build that culture. Now, Mickey Calloway has not done a good job building any kind of culture over his year and change that he's been here, and that's part of why he's on the hot seat. But what fans wanted him to do in that moment over the weekend, it just – it. Uh, Part, the part that's his fault is that, he, as I said, he hasn't built a, a culture where he's respected enough probably to do that. Number two, it's pretty tough for any manager to do that. Even a guy who's really hard driving like a Buck Showalter or a Mike Sosha before he got out of it, you know, out of the, he was managing the Angels for obviously like 20 years. Guys like that would probably be tough. I, I went, would Mike Sosha have pulled Albert Pujols out of a game for not running hard? Probably not. Right. These things don't really happen much. If well, someone so, can find an example that I'm missing over the last couple of years, I'd be interested to hear it. But it's not the way the game is managed. I think you make a good point that it is also on Mickey Calloway to not have built up the culture of respect to be able to do that, to feel secure enough to do that with his role. Um, but let's talk about fault because right now everybody's doing what they always do when teams across Major League Baseball, I'm talking about the media, when teams across Major League Baseball have a manager that's on the hot seat. What you say about it is, or write about it is, I'm not entirely sure it's his fault, but you know you need to blame somebody, and the manager's the easiest guy to blame. Well, it's more that, that someone gets blamed. We don't need to blame somebody, but the way these things play out is that the manager gets fired. And I just, I go back and forth on this. I, I really do. I can't figure out which direction to go in because... I really do, I, I do believe that Mickey Callaway has not done enough to retain his job as the Mets manager in mm-hmm. this period of time. But I also think that he has been hamstrung by a lot of bad decisions in the past front office and the current one on a daily basis. Yeah. So sure. I think basically what that leads me to believe is that if the Mets decide to go in a different direction with manager, I, I believe it to be the right decision if they do. But having said that, it, it is, I, I don't say that with a total trust in the decision-making of the current front office. Well, because it's a brand-new front office, too. So, how, I mean, how could they haven't even had the time to build up that trust? Right. And, and uh, this roster that they built is not playing well right now, so their, their credibility isn't at its highest ebb. Um, no. Wow, I used that wrong. It is at a low ebb. Ebbs are low, I believe. I, ebb and flow has always been something that really <laughs> genuinely confused me. Well, so. clearly me too. Credibility is not great right now because the team's playing like crap. And uh, that leads you to say, like, I'm not that high in the front office right now. I do think that the, fr- that the offseason that Brody had 
should have resulted in, in, in may still result in a team that's better than this, which is why you can say, well, no, they're not playing badly because of Mickey Callaway. But they're also, but he, does he possess any qualities that, where he will help them play better? And so you look and see, where are we at? Is this season worth trying to do some shock therapy on and just trying something different? Well, that, that's, it, so it's not really about fault in that, in that I case? I know, yeah. But let's go through the train of thought, right? So somebody says to you, how could you possibly not blame Mickey Calloway when the team is lifeless and showing no effort? Because it's my not a resp- ma- I'm sorry, go ahead. My response to that would be, I don't think pitchers are on the mound thinking about their manager. I don't think hitters are at the plate thinking about their manager. But if that response is all you're ever going to say, then no manager ever should get fired. Well, they should create a culture where people feel generally good about their work environment, and that doesn't seem to be the case with the Mets because they're spiraling right now that there's a, that like sense of, like, oh, we're excited to go to work. I think the players are trying, but um, the manager's role in what? Like, I, no manager is ever to blame, in my opinion, for sloppy play, errors, players not being prepared. So what? These are adults, these players. They, right. They're responsible for themselves. It's not a manager's job. So what is, if you were to pick one thing that <laughs> it is, is a manager's job? Yes, that, that is when it goes wrong or when it goes well, squarely on the man. I think they need to create a culture of communication and accountability in terms of if you do something wrong, let's talk about it behind closed doors and make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think they need to not mangle the game. Like the in-game decisions, which are pretty prescribed now by analytics for, for most teams, don't screw it up. Don't mess up a double switch. Don't bring out the long, wrong lineup card. Don't bring in the wrong... Don't, don't get a pitcher hot twice and then, he, and then he's mad because he got up twice and and didn't get in the game. You know, like, there's certain things, like making the trains run on time in-game. Don't stand out and get attention for being bad at that. But mostly, it's create a culture generally. Aaron Boone is doing a terrific job of this. Alex Cora is doing a terrific job of this. It wouldn't matter if they didn't have talented rosters. At the end of the day, the manager isn't usually good enough or bad enough to make that much of a difference. But if you're asking me what their job is, it's just to be someone every day who has a presence and an energy, some accountability, and communicates. You can't be well-liked all the time. There are Yankee pitchers who feel that Aaron Boone doesn't doesn't uh, use them in the right spots or takes them out too early. You think Jay Happ's not pissed off when he throws 64 pitches and he has to come out? You don't have to be everybody's buddy all the time, but you have to make sure everyone sort of respects you to the degree where they go, okay, I don't agree with that, but I respect him as a person. That kind of stuff. To your point? Does that answer your question? Yes. And, and it also brings up the obvious that imagine how different these conversations would be if Mickey Callaway had come as close to anyone can get to making perfect in-game decisions in his tenure. How different this conversation would be. It would be this team's playing poorly, but he's a good manager. Well, that's what I felt about Terry Collins at various points when he was on the brink. And I never would have had this tone about Terry because it was like, this team's playing bad, but firing Terry would be a bad idea because he isn't the problem, because he's, he's not screwing up in-game stuff. Terry did occasionally overuse relievers. I shouldn't say he's not he, screwing up in-game stuff. He was, using, he was using Jim Henderson. I always bring up Jim. He used Jim Henderson you, as like a long reliever for the first two weeks of the what? season and ended his career. Thank you for that. I, I shouldn't have made a, a, 
statement as as simple as he didn't screw up in game stuff. But to me, it was never fire Terry and your team will improve. So before we go, and we're, again, we're only keeping this one short in, in the hopes that Andy's available and I'm available. I'm always available. So hopefully Andy's available to do another episode maybe sometime this week if this goes down. If not, we'll talk to you next Monday and you just get gypped you know, because this is a short episode. You know, but. I'm supposed to go on the only vacation I've had, like, I think in like a year, calendar year, almost for like four days. So, I, you know. Let's hope that I don't okay. have to come in for that. I, I don't want you to be available if you don't want to be available. <laughs> Later in the week, though, we've got some time. But if you are a Met fan seething from the Robinson Cano thing, I, and if you don't follow me on Twitter, I talked about this yesterday, but John Harper wrote a column in 2014 right after Robbie Cano left the Yankees. John Harper talked to Kevin Long about Robinson Cano and the hustling stuff. And it's fascinating to look back on now because Harp explains that Long loved Robbie Cano like a son. They had worked together for so long. But Harp basically approached Long to talk about the hustling stuff and the optics about it. And here's what Long said. If somebody told me I was a dog, I'd have to fix that. When you choose not to, you leave yourself open to taking heat. And that's your fault. For whatever reason, Robbie chose not to. Um, And then all the other stuff. He'd take plays off in the field. He'd give away at-bats in RBI situations. He made a lot of personal decisions to get over the hump in those areas. People don't know how hard he worked, how many times he was the one asking me to do extra work in the cage. Um, But the most fascinating thing is that he said, we all talked to him. This is Kevin Long speaking about Cano. We all talked to him. I'm pretty sure Jeter talked to him a number of times. Even if you run at 80%, no one's going to say anything. But when you jog down the line, even if it doesn't come into play 98% of the time, it creates a perception. There's a lot going on there. So a couple things. Uh, I remember this very clearly when I was Harp's colleague at the Daily News when he wrote this, and I was the guy that had to go out to Peoria, Arizona, and ask Cano about it from the paper that wrote, put this on the back page, calling him a dog, which he was extremely insulted by that choice of words. It was a tough choice of words. The Lloyd McClendon at the time, the manager of the Mariners, went off on Kevin Long. Since but to was- be fair, wasn't Long saying people called him? Yeah, but he used the word dog. Don't use the word dog was, I think, was the thought by Cano. And Lloyd McClendon crushed him on that. And because even if you're making a broader point that's a little more, like, fair and, and nuanced, the word dog sticks out, period. Yeah. Dog. Bad word to use. And, 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 like, a very insulting word in, in sports, obviously. That guy's a, that guy's a dog. Uh, and that's not exactly what he was saying, but it doesn't really matter. Because what filters back to Cano in Arizona in his first spring training with the Mariners at the time was dog. He used the word dog. Now, Kevin Long is also a guy who is alienated two successive like New York organizations for running his mouth too much. So there's that too. Like he ended up pissing off Cashman and Alderson. <laughs> and like, right, now I, he's in Washington. I'm, so not, reading, going on I'm not reading this to say here, hey, yeah. everybody, here's Kevin Long's words as gospel about Robbie Cano. What I'm saying is Kevin Long probably does know that Derek Jeter talked to Robinson Cano about hustling years ago. Yeah, Before everyone I, is. This was a major, you know this. Uh, you just, you've been watching the Yankees for as long as you've been alive. They, they, this was an issue with Cano for the whole time. 100%. So just separate these conversations. If, if, I'll put it this way. If Mickey Cowley gets fired tonight, the Mets are going to try. I don't know how they'll do it. Maybe they won't fire him tonight because of it. But they are going to try and make sure you know that this is not about Robinson Cano because that's who Robinson Cano is. Mickey Callaway's job is not to change a guy who's been in the league successfully for this long. Of course. Now, you may be better served to have 
your veteran player be David Wright, who would never do that. Right. And he's modeling something better for young players. But they brought Robinson Cano in knowing full well who he is. He's got a track record. And who he is is not all bad. He makes the argument that um, not, like, unnecessary eyewash. The term eyewash in baseball means false hustle. And there's a lot of false hustle. Um, I, you know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have Robinson Cano's production for 160 games a year than Brandon Nimmo running to, on a walk, on a base on balls. You know, if I had to choose. Because I think Cano rightly thinks there's some eyewash there and running, busting down the line. Uh, and he'd rather just keep himself healthy and not blow a calf on a, on a ball where he's going to be out anyway. And I can totally see that argument. And, and I think he shows positive leadership in, in other ways. But, like, he does take this not running thing to, to a, an extreme. And, by the way, the sound you hear is Met fans who understand your point, but it was saying, well, Robinson Cano's not producing. So when you say, I'd oh, rather no, have yeah. Robbie Cano's production, he better start producing. Well, he'd rather produce, I'm sure. Right. But, it, yeah. People want to say, if you're not producing, we'll run to first. Well, it's like, he's going to be the same hey, guy when he's going well or going poorly. There's a, yes, as he should be. Right. There's, if he started pressing all of a sudden, run, busting it like we've never like, had oh, before, he's that'd be really weird. wrong. There's a lot of schools of thought on this. Jason Bay used to say, focus on what you can control. And when he couldn't play baseball anymore, he would still run as hard as he possibly could to first base every time he hit the ball because he says, this is what I can control. And I thought that was admirable. Uh, Cano, however, isn't like lazy because he does it his way. It's a different way. It's not as good a look, frankly, but it's nuanced. And I don't think there's anything wrong with what Mickey Calloway, um, how he framed it because he's in a very tough position. All right, so we're going to leave it there. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll talk to you soon. We don't know how soon, but certainly there's going to be more discuss in the days and weeks to come. So thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next time, whenever that is.